Well, the situation for the man uh, was not looking good. He'd been arrested a few weeks before and placed in prison while he awaited sentencing. Not just any prison, though, maximum security. So, uh, so maximum security that there was never a moment where he wasn't attached to a guard by handcuffs and a chain that was no more than four feet long. Nothing was done in privacy, not reading, not writing, not weeping, not using the bathroom. Every part of his life was monitored, not by cameras, but by someone who was right here. This man's crime was dramatic, treason. And the penalty for treason, as you know, is death. Any of us in this situation would understandably be a basket case, caught and charged with one of the greatest crimes against our country uh, with a penalty of almost certain death. We may have a few days or a few months to live, but why would it matter? All joy would be lost. All the odds say, I'm never going to see my family or my friends again, and so all hope is gone. This is the situation we find Paul in this morning as he pens this section of Philippians, and we're fortunate to live in a country where it's very unlikely that we'll, fall, we'll find ourselves in Paul's spot. Uh, he was imprisoned for proclaiming that Jesus was the one true king, and according to Roman leadership, uh, in doing so, he was trying to usurp the authority of the Roman emperor. In their eyes, it was treason. We're probably not going to find ourselves at the end of a four-foot chain uh, with a high-ranking Roman soldier on the other end, but we may find ourselves in situations that feel to us similarly bleak. Maybe it's working a job that we don't, fulfill, we don't feel fulfilled in at all. Feeling like we deserve a raise or a promotion, but knowing that there's no way that's going to happen. Losing a loved one, a family, a friend... Uh, having no hope of ever talking to that person again. Maybe your marriage feels like it's on the brink and you're not sure how you're going to get out of the rut that you're in. Maybe you're going for a checkup at the doctor and you come home with a potentially life-altering or even life-ending diagnosis. It's heavy stuff. Uh, And this morning, we'll be picking up in our summer series in Philippians called Joy in All Things. Uh, And the question that we have in our text this morning is this, how can I have joy in all things when all hope seems lost? If you're not already there, now would you open up to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. Uh, In the Worship Center Bible, that's on page 1040, pretty sure, 1,040. Uh, If you have a digital Bible, I'll be in the Christian Standard Version. Otherwise, uh, you're welcome to use whatever translation you would like. 1,040. Philippians 1, 12 through 30. Um, As we uh, work through this morning, we're going to see three things about Paul that should help us as we wrestle with this question of joy when all hope seems lost. First, We're going to see that Paul is obsessed with advancing the gospel. Let's look back at verses 12 and 13. Paul says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in 
Christ. Paul writes and he wants to make the Philippian church aware of his circumstances and of his current situation while he is in prison. Now, if you and I were to write a letter like Paul did, we would expect uh, certain things to be included in that letter, right? My letter would probably go something like this. Dear Michelle, I miss you and the kids. Life here is pretty awful. I'm chained to a guard 24-7, and I can't get any privacy to even go to the bathroom. They let me read books and write, but it's pretty difficult because I'm stuck to them the whole time. Most of the guards are all right, but a couple of them don't smell very good. The food is awful. I wish I could be home and have a good meal, but most of what I get is pretty dried out and usually bland. Not getting much sleep, either. Guards keep waking me up all the time. There's a radio here, uh, but the only thing they ever have on is Brewer Games. Uh, it's the worst. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure when I'm getting out, if ever, because nobody will tell me anything. I wish this had never happened to me. I love you, Chris. Right, our letter uh, would talk a lot about how bad our situation is and how much we miss our families. Not so with Paul. Paul doesn't include any details about what his personal situation looks like in prison. In fact, the only way that we know uh, what's likely going on with Paul is because we look at literature from uh, a similar time to when he would be in prison, and we see how they treat prisoners in that time period. See, Paul doesn't care about his circumstances. Paul is obsessed with advancing the gospel. Paul doesn't say, look, this is a joke. I shouldn't be here. He doesn't complain about how hard it is or how he doesn't even have privacy when he has to go to the bathroom. Paul says, look, what happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. How can we have joy in all circumstances when all hope seems lost? Well, we, like Paul, can become obsessed with advancing the gospel. Because when you meet Jesus and he grips you, when he really grips you, external factors fade into the background. For Paul, even this bleak and desperate situation that he was in, chained to a guard day after day, disappeared. He only saw it as opportunity. So, wherever you are and whatever your situation is, wherever hope seems lost, I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not. It's not. There is always hope. Maybe not that your situation will ever get better. I don't know how God is going to choose to work in your life, but I do know that God has placed opportunities right in front of you for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. God took this awful situation and Paul's proximity to the inner circle of Caesar, a situation that was obviously very rough, and he used that to radically transform hearts that would have otherwise been very difficult to access. I'd encourage you to think like Paul in your situation. Where in your life is there an opportunity? Who might you begin to pray for? Who might you have a conversation with about Jesus? How might you ask God to change your perspective in your workplace from one of being stuck to one of great opportunities are before me every single day? Paul moves on uh, and he speaks of the effect of this gospel advancement during his time in prison. Let's look back at verses 14 to 19. He says, Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul says that as a result of what's going on in the imperial guard, brothers and sisters in Christ are gaining confidence and proclaiming the truth of Christ even more fearlessly. As people see lives transformed, they're encouraged, right? And this happens today. This is one of the reasons that we so strongly recommend that each one of you get involved in a life group in connecting with other believers and sharing your stories about how God is at work in your heart and in your life. Because when we hear about God moving, it gives us confidence. When we see God changing hearts, especially hearts that we wouldn't maybe expect him to change, we trust him more deeply and we're encouraged to step out in faith and share the truth of Jesus more boldly with those around us. It's exactly what we see happening here in the first century. People, Paul says, are preaching the gospel more confidently and fearlessly, but not all of them are doing it with great motives. Yeah, he says, to be sure, some are preaching out of love and out of goodwill with the intention of making the name of Jesus great in Rome and uh, beyond, but not all of them. Some, he says, are doing it out of envy and rivalry, out of selfish ambition. They think they'll cause Paul trouble. Some preachers in Paul's day saw Paul's circumstances as an opportunity for self-promotion, right? Paul was and is a big name in church history. Last week, Uh, Tom shared briefly about Paul's missionary journeys all over uh, the known world as he uh, was motivated by his obsession over advancing the gospel and he traveled all over preaching and proclaiming the hope that only Jesus offered. Paul was an A-list Christian preacher in his day, right? And no doubt he had some haters, people who would love to see him fail, people who, even though they loved Jesus, thought they were better preachers than Paul. People who wondered why God didn't give them an opportunity to travel all over the world and to speak in front of large crowds or to be used in big ways like Paul was. And so those people, people who Paul says are Christians who loved Jesus, jumped at the opportunity to capitalize on Paul's imprisonment. Probably they said things like, hey, Uh, Paul must have had some secret sin or been doing something wrong that the rest of us couldn't see for God to allow him to be stuck in prison. See, he must not really be the leader that you thought he was uh, because God's kind of knocking him down a notch and removing him from his post. It's my time to shine. And so, what did they do? Well, Paul says they preached the gospel. Yeah, their motive was to cause Paul trouble uh, or to build up some kind of name for themselves, but... Paul says they proclaimed Christ. If I was in Paul's shoes, uh, I can't say that I would probably react like he does. I guess there's a reason uh, that I didn't get to write almost a third of the New Testament, and Paul did. See, Paul doesn't care why the gospel is advancing. He only cares that the gospel is advancing. In verse 18, he says, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. What does it matter? The only thing that matters to Paul is that Christ is proclaimed, and so he rejoices. He is obsessed with the gospel going 
forward. From an outside perspective, Paul's life looks like a mess, right? He's in prison. His Christian brothers and sisters are turning against him, and his good name is being trashed in public. And you know what? He doesn't care. Paul came to the deep-seated realization that his life had very little to do with Paul and very much to do with how Christ wanted to use him. So if we want to be able to answer this question, how can I have joy in all things when all hope seems lost, we need to adopt the same attitude as Paul. In his book, Philippians for You, Steve Lawson says this, we must recognize that our life is not about us being comfortable, but about Christ being made known. It's kind of contrary to the so-called American dream, isn't it? It's kind of opposite of everything that the world throws at us. See, our lives are not about us. And if we try to find joy in ourselves or in what kind of fun we can have or if our present circumstances is what dictates our joy, we will rarely, if ever, find true joy. But if we resolve, as Paul says in verse 20, to to adopt an attitude that Christ would be highly honored in our bodies, whether by life or by death, Well, then we can experience joy in any situation. So how does Paul have joy when all hope seems lost? Paul is obsessed with the advancement of the gospel over the advancement of Paul. Second, we see that Paul is enamored with Jesus. Let's look at verses 21 to 26. It says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ may abound." Now look, the English translation in front of you is very reliable. It's very accurate and it's very good and you can and should trust it. But in translation, sometimes decisions have to be made so that the receiving language, uh, things can work in the receiving language. And this is one of those times. In your English translation and the one I have in front of me, it says, uh, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In the original, it says this, For me to live, Christ, and to die, gain. To live, Christ, and to die, gain. Any number of verbs could theoretically be placed in that gap, but I think Paul left it empty on purpose because for Paul, in life, Christ is everything. To live, Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian, doesn't it? Every aspect of life is totally influenced by Jesus. It's totally for his sake, for his honor and for his glory and for the advancement of his gospel. To become a Christian is to say that my life is no longer mine, but his. Paul uses similar language in Galatians when he said, It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. My life is all about Jesus. To live Christ. Paul also says to die, gain. That's not a thought that we're often on board with, is it? I think very few of us truly grab on to the reality that Paul is putting forth here. When we die, gain. 
not loss, gain. Have you ever laid awake at night and wrestled with this? You've got a big event coming up, something that you've never experienced before, right? Maybe it's getting married or the birth of your first child or your first time at Lambeau or for me at Wrigley Field. Lord, you pray, please don't take me before I get to experience this. It's silly, right? But we've all been there. We're so gripped with the fleeting good that the world has to offer that we forget our first love, Jesus. And then, uh, even when we do maybe get to that point where we recognize that death might be gain for us, it's often because of the cool things we anticipate in heaven, right? The ability to be in sort of crazy athletic shape again uh, in our new heavenly bodies. And maybe we think we might be able to fly or something cool like that. The amazing food, right, that we'll eat in heaven, that feast that's talked about at the end of Revelation, or the beauty that we hear about as we anticipate seeing pearly gates or streets paved with shiny gold. None of those things are the best part of heaven. Not even being reunited with lost loved ones is the best thing about heaven. Every single thing that we think of as good, all of it pales in comparison to the reality that we will get to behold the face of our Savior Jesus Christ, to be with him in eternity in a place where no sin taints our relationship, to be fully known and fully loved by him forever. When we begin to understand this reality, answering our question for today gets a little easier. How can I have joy in all circumstances when hope seems lost? I can have joy if, like Paul, I am enamored with Jesus because I recognize that what's to come in glory, interacting with Jesus in perfect relationship, is far, far better than anything I could ever experience in this life. This tension uh, causes Paul real mental and emotional turmoil. On the one hand, I get to be with Jesus, my Savior. Oh, he says, how I long to depart and be with him. It's far better than being here. On the other hand, he says to remain in the flesh, that is, to remain alive, is more necessary for your sake. See, Paul understood the unique role that he was playing in the first century church, and he says he was confident that in spite of his deepest longings, that he would be delivered from the hand of uh, the Roman courts and ultimately released to go and serve the church of Jesus again. If you're looking for something to commit to memory uh, and to chew on this week, I'd encourage you to take this section of the text, verses 21 to 26, and wrestle with these challenging truths. That to live, Christ. To die, gain. What does that look like as it takes root in your heart and grows fruit in your life? Think through, how are you challenged by that? Paul's almost disappointment challenges me. He's torn between the two. He longs to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Most days, I'm not torn. Most days, I want to stay right where I am. I have no interest in this whole death thing. Intellectually, sure, I understand that going to heaven is better and that being with Jesus is better, but do I let that grip me? Most days, I don't. So, will you wrestle along with me? Will you ask God with me that we as Crossview Church would become so enamored with Jesus that, like Paul, we would long to depart and be with Christ because we come to a spot where we understand that it is far better? 
I'm confident that as we do that, as we become obsessed with the advancing of the gospel, and as we become more and more enamored with Jesus, that God will impact our hearts and our city in ways that we can't begin to imagine. And he'll bring such joy to our hearts as we see his kingdom expand that we'll wonder, how did we ever have joy apart from him? Paul's life helps us as we answer this question of joy when hope seems lost. And so far, we've seen Paul's obsession with the advancement of the gospel. And second, we saw his being enamored with Jesus. Finally, we see that Paul is motivated by his citizenship. Let's read verses 27 to 30. He says this, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Just one quick little thing, Paul says. Live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stephen Lawson says it like this. He says, let us remember it matters to God how we live our lives. Grace does not diminish our responsibility to the moral requirements of what God requires. Grace does not lower the standard. Rather, grace enables us to meet it. Grace empowers us to fulfill what God requires. Paul says, it matters how we live, not in order that we might earn our salvation, but because we have been given salvation in the first place. God cares about how we live our lives. He cares that we, by the power of the Spirit, attempt to live as we ought. Paul says, as citizens of heaven, that is, as people who have placed their trust in Jesus and will one day be reunited with him, as citizens of heaven, live your lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. Well, what does that look like? Thankfully, uh, Paul tells us. I think he gives us at least three points of application to our citizenship in heaven and things that it should motivate us toward. First, our citizenship in heaven should motivate us to stand firm together. Paul encourages us as citizens of heaven to stand firm together as the body of Christ. What might that look like in the life of of Crossview Church. I think part of standing firm together means that we as Christians here uh, at Crossview meet together regularly and intentionally. Pastor Dan spoke about this idea of meeting together regularly uh, briefly in his message in Hebrews 10, the last one that he uh, preached before he went on sabbatical. And I want to press into that a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this. It says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm going to take a minute here to speak into small town Wisconsin culture. The culture that I grew up in, the culture that I love, and uh, the culture that we're fortunate to uh, now live in and serve in. Summers in Wisconsin are great, right? I don't think you can get much closer to heaven than being on the water by about six o'clock in the morning and seeing the mist and uh, casting a line and reeling in bass after bass. When we lived in Illinois for four years uh, during seminary, this isn't a joke, uh, we referred to Wisconsin as the promised land. 
we love it here. It's beautiful, and there's so much to enjoy, as you all know. One of the dangers of living in the promised land that is Wisconsin is in the summer when the lakes are warm and the weather is beautiful, we ignore what God's word says about gathering together. We take three months off of church. It becomes optional. Paul here, the author of Hebrews, and ultimately God himself says, don't do that. Don't disappear all summer long. Instead, make it your habit to meet together regularly week in and week out. Standing together means meeting together regularly. It also means meeting together intentionally. If we're going to stand firm together as the body of Christ, we need to do it intentionally, encouraging one another in Christ. And so as you meet in your small groups or as you interact with other church families, don't be afraid to be real with each other. Don't be afraid to talk about the difficulties you're having in raising your kids or to talk about the things that are happening or have happened in your marriage or the trouble you're having at work with a coworker or your boss, the disappointments in life, the struggles, your sin issues. If I can be really honest with you for a second uh, as your pastor, one of the heavy privileges of being on the pastoral staff here uh, at Crossview is that we get to be in the messy stuff with you. And I mean it when I say that that's a heavy privilege. Uh, It's a privilege for me to sit in the hard things with you and to hear about what's going on in your life. But that means that I get an inside look at the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the struggling individuals and the hurting marriages and the really hard situations. I have an inside look as to what's going on in your lives. Many of you are in small groups with people who you love and who love you, and who care about you, and who you can trust. Share your stuff with each other. Share your stuff with each other, because sin loses power in the light. Healing comes in the light. When you won't share your stuff with each other, and be in prayer for one another, and when you won't allow people who have been there before you, and who have gone through what you're going through, by the grace of God to help you, When you do that, you miss out on some of God's greatest workings in your life. If we're not going to stand together and speak the truth and hope of the gospel into each other's lives and allow the hope and truth of the gospel to be spoken into our lives, who's going to do that if not us? I want to challenge us as Crossview Church to be people who are different, people who love each other so radically that they're willing to go into the hard places of each other's lives and to sit there and to speak truth. So Paul says, number one, stand firm together. Number two, he says, contend together for the faith. Paul encourages us not just to stand together for our own sake, but for the sake of those around us. Together, as the body of Christ, we have a mission to take the gospel forward. Specifically here in the community of Wisconsin Rapids, in our workplaces, in our homes, and with our neighbors, and our friends. And it was such a privilege for me to watch you as a church come together to serve at Mission Rapids on Friday night. I know I saw many of you here serving, and I know that there were many more of you doing things behind the scenes that I never saw and uh, serving in ways that I'll never know. But as Jen talked about, for the wind to come through, for the bouncy house to be flying across the parking lot, and for uh, tents to be overturned, and uh, all of that to happen, and for you as Crossview Church to still pull off that amazing event in an effort to bring the gospel of Jesus to our community— is awesome. 
Uh, just like I was honest before, I want to be honest now, I think that this is an area that Crossview Church is excellent at. I've never seen a church care about the community that it's in like you do. I've never seen a church so committed to loving its community as Christ would and welcoming people to come in as they are like you do. So, well done. Keep it up over and over again. I get to hear the stories of how your work is changing lives, the stories of people who come into Crossview Church the first time and think, I'm probably not welcome here, and someone invites them who they don't know to sit with them. People engaging in conversations in the foyer. So, great job. The gospel is going forward in the community of Wisconsin Rapids because of the work that you, the congregation of Crossview Church, is doing. So keep it up. Paul says, stand together. He says, contend together. And finally, he says, suffer together. As you take the gospel forth and as you live your life for Jesus and as you meet together and stand firm together, you will suffer for it. People will look at you differently. You might be left out of conversations and you might even miss opportunities in life because you live differently. You might be looked at like that weird guy who invites people to church all the time. Verse 29 uh, says that this has been granted to you. It's a gift from God that not only would you believe, but that you would be able to suffer for Jesus. So when stuff happens in your life that's unpleasant because of your faith in Jesus, Don't get down. Paul says that's actually a gift from God. So take joy in the privilege of suffering for Christ. Before you write Paul off on that one and act like he doesn't know what he's talking about because suffering can be really hard and really complicated, remember where he's writing this letter from. He's in prison. And he counts it as a privilege and a joy to suffer for Jesus because he knows that what God is doing through his situation must be greater than his circumstances. And so he has joy. You may not see it now. You may not even see it during your time on earth. But God is at work in your life for the sake of advancing his kingdom. It matters to God how you live. And when you live in a way that's motivated by your citizenship in heaven and not your citizenship in your family or in your community or even in this great country, God will honor that. And you'll find joy incomprehensible as you watch him impact hearts for eternity. I started this morning by asking how we might possibly find joy in the midst of some pretty heavy things. So, hopefully, along the way, uh, you've seen how adopting an outlook on life like Paul can help you find joy. Maybe you're sitting in a heavy spot this morning, and I just want to encourage you uh, by closing to uh, look at the situation that Paul was in and learn from him. Go to the Lord in prayer day after day and ask that he would encourage your heart and your mind towards the three things that we talked about this morning. First, that you would become obsessed with the advancement of the gospel. Second, that you would become more enamored with Jesus each day. And finally, that your citizenship in heaven would motivate you to stand together, to contend together, and suffer together for the sake of Christ. Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the truth found in Philippians chapter 1. Lord, we recognize that there are many among us this morning who are sitting in heavy places. And so would you just send your spirit to speak encouragement, Lord? Would you let us see the ways that you're working in our lives for the advancement of your gospel? 
Lord, we ask for these three things this morning. We ask that you would uh, let us become obsessed with the advancement of the truth and the hope that Jesus provides. Lord, would you allow us to become more enamored with Jesus each day? And finally, would you let us be motivated by our citizenship in heaven to live lives worthy of the call that you've placed on our life, the call of the gospel. Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus and for his shed blood. It's in his name we pray. Amen.